Everybody, you guys can all come in and find a place to grab a seat. For anybody that missed it, or if you're a, a guest here today, we have a picnic after church today, and we would love for you to join us, even if you weren't planning to. It's okay, we'd still love for you to come and be with us today. Um, we've been in the middle of a series called I Am, and it's been on the seven I Am statements of Jesus, and today we're going to be wrapping up that series. I just wanted to review the seven I am statements. The first was, I am the bread of life. <clears throat> the second was, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then today, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, when God shows up to Moses, he shows up and he reveals himself as I am. He tells Moses his name is I am. And then in the New Testament, Jesus shows up and is God in flesh, and he reveals himself to us in a number of ways. And one of those ways that he reveals himself is through these seven I am statements. These are seven statements to help us get to know who he is, to understand him, so that we can enter into relationship with him. Today we're looking at my favorite of the seven I am statements. I've been looking forward to this specific I am statement the whole series um, it's actually in one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, in John 15, and these are actually some of my favorite words that Jesus speaks in the whole Bible. So today we're going to look at John chapter 15. I want to read to you this morning, verses 1 through 8. You can follow along. This is Jesus speaking himself, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. These words from Jesus are right after his final Passover meal with the disciples. It's what's normally referred to as the Last Supper. In chapter 14, after the disciples have their Last Supper with Jesus, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. And they get up from the table, and they leave the upper room in Jerusalem. And when we put together the other accounts of this story in the gospel, we see that they're headed to the Mount of Olives, where they're going to spend the night. Specifically, they're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is just a few hours before Judas is going to show up with a band of Roman soldiers. Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be taken and his trial is going to be started. And then the crucifixion is going to start. So this is actually Jesus' last teaching that he gives to his disciples before he dies. This is the last teaching he gives to the disciples before the crucifixion. Jesus often uses real-life examples when he's trying to get a point across and trying to teach something. And we don't know for sure, but many people believe that while they were headed towards the Mount of Olives, they passed a vineyard. 
And Jesus took the opportunity to explain to them about a vineyard and the message that he wanted to teach them and the lesson he was trying to teach them because they were close to a vineyard. And most of, the, most of these disciples had been around vineyards a lot. There was vineyards around the areas where they had been traveling and ministering. So it would have been something that was very common to them and something that they would have understood what he was talking about. The main point in this scripture is actually found in that last verse that I read, John 15, 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So that makes me want to ask the question, what does it mean to be fruitful, and how do we get there? How do we become fruitful with our lives? Paul actually talks about this specific thing in the book of Galatians, uh, specifically in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. When he says against such things there is no law, what he means by that is there's no limit to the amount that these things should be present in our life. These things should be in abundance in our life. The way this was written in the original language, it was referred to as the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And that's because each one you could look at as like a cluster of grapes with nine different grapes on that cluster, and each one of them is to be present in our life. We don't get to say, well, I'm, uh, I'm joyful, but I'm not really patient. If you were to say that to Paul, Paul would say, well, then the fruit of the Spirit is not in your life. It means all of these things are to be present in our life. So how do we become more fruitful? That's the main question I want to look at today. How do we become more fruitful in our life? If that's what God wants from us, is for us to be fruitful, that he might be glorified, how do we become more fruitful? There's three ways in this, this scripture that we read this morning that I see that Jesus shows us that we can be more fruitful in our life. The first one is we become more fruitful when we abide in Christ. This is in verse 4 and 5. It says, Abide in me as I abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So in this analogy that Jesus uses, there's, um, there's himself, and he refers to himself as the vine. Then there's the branches, which refer to us. And then there's the gardener or the vine dresser, which refers to the Lord. The word abide is used over and over in this portion of scripture that we read. In fact, in just those eight verses, it's used 10 times. 10 times he uses that word. And if you have a different translation, maybe you have like the NIV or something like that, a lot of other translations use the word remain. That's another great translation, to remain in Christ. To stay in close relationship with him, to stay in communion with God. There will be no fruit in your life or in my life, apart from our connection to Christ. When we exemplify his character, when we stay connected to Christ, when Jesus dominates my life, I exemplify his character. When my flesh dominates my life, I exemplify my character, and that's not a good thing. Paul says it this way in Romans seven eighteen. He says, I know that in my flesh nothing is good. Somehow, 
in American Christianity, we kind of get this strange idea that we're like great people and we just need to be like polished up and cleaned up a little bit. Like we're really good at our core. But Paul's like, no, you're not. You're dead to sin at your core until you abide in Christ and until you come to that place of abiding in him. Then and only then can your life produce fruit. A branch doesn't grow because of its effort. It doesn't produce grapes because of its effort. It simply is connected to the vine. If you walk through a vineyard, you don't hear a vine saying positive declarations over its life, saying, I declare grapes over my life. I'm going to produce grapes. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm going to make grapes. You don't hear anything like that in a vineyard. The vine is simply connected, the branch is simply connected to the vine, and the natural byproduct of that is it produces grapes. The fruit of your life is less the result of effort and much more the result of connection. The fruit of your life is much less the result of effort and much more the result of connection. Walking day by day, hour by hour, Moment by moment, breath by breath, connected to Jesus. And then in verse 5, Jesus gives us a guarantee. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Here's the, here's the guarantee. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There aren't very many things in life that you can guarantee. In fact, if I'm talking to a salesman and he tells me he guarantees something, I usually pretty much leave and walk away right away because I know there's not much that's guaranteed in life. But if Jesus gives you a guarantee, that right there is a guarantee you can count on. And if you want your life to be fruitful, if you want to produce fruit that glorifies the Father, you have to learn to stay connected to him. So how do we abide How do we abide? Like, nobody would ever use that word in their normal, everyday language. So, like, what is abiding, and what does abiding look like in our daily life? What does it look like for you when you're going to work tomorrow morning, or when you're chasing your kids, or when you're doing whatever you're doing? What does abiding look like? The definition of abiding that I came up with is abiding is conscious awareness of God. Abiding is conscious awareness of God. It's not bulldozing through your life as if he doesn't exist, but it's staying connected to him. It's thinking about him. It's being aware of him throughout your day. Jesus says if you want to produce fruit with your life, you can't be a lone ranger. You can't just go through life as if he doesn't exist. You have to stay connected to him. I'll give you an analogy of conscious awareness. Um, I wear this ring right there, all the time. Um, I put it on, I don't know how many years ago, I was wrong about this the other day, maybe 19 years ago? 19 years ago, I think. Um, Somebody asked me how long I had been married, and I was like, six, 19, okay. When when Phil McNeil was here, our guest speaker's wife asked me how long I'd been married, and I said, 15 years? And she's like, well, your daughter's 16, so I was like, oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) 
I'd been at church 15 years. I was just confused. I've been married 19 years. So I put it on a long time ago, and I, I don't even think about it. In fact, the only time I think about it is if for some reason I have to take it off. And then if I take it off, then it feels all weird, and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I'm not wearing a ring. But I just don't even think about it because I just wear it all the time and it feels normal. Let's say that um, a, a wealthy person came up to you and said, uh, I have a, a proposition for you. I have an assignment for you. And I'll, I'll give you a million dollars if you can complete the assignment. How many of you would want to know what the assignment was? Like, I would want to know, how can I get that million bucks, right? So if this wealthy person says, I'm going to give you a ring, and I want you to put the ring in your pocket. The ring is worth $10 million. If you keep the, put the ring in your pocket and you keep it there, you don't take it out for the next 30 days. In 30 days, you come to me, you take the ring out, and you place it back in my hand. I'll give you a million dollars. The catch is, if you lose the ring, then you have to pay me back the $10 million. And if you take the ring out of your pocket at all, then you don't get any money at all. How many of you would take the assignment? I would, right? I think I could do that. Like, I could keep it in my pocket for that long. Now, how many of you think if I took this ring that was worth $10 bucks, put it in my pocket, if I lose it, I have to pay back $10 million. If I take it out one time, I don't get anything. How many of you think I would be aware of that ring in my pocket? Like, I, I would be, my hand would be on it every second of the day. I'd probably have it sewn right into my pants. Like, I would, I would be feeling it all the time to make sure it was there. I would be consciously aware of it all the time because of its value. All the time I would be thinking about it. Jesus is so much more valuable than a ring, so much more valuable than a million dollars. A million dollars is nothing compared to Jesus and the price that he paid for you and me and the reward that waits for us in eternity of being with him. Can we be consciously aware of God like that in our day-to-day lives? Sometimes being consciously aware of the Lord is sitting down and going to a prayer meeting or something like that, or going to a worship night, or coming to church on a Sunday morning, going to life group, something like that. Sometimes being consciously aware of the Lord is just sitting down in your car after a hard day and sighing. And you don't even hardly have words to say, but you just sit down and, and God knows what you've gone through and he knows what you're feeling and you're just letting him into that moment. Sometimes being consciously aware of him is sitting and crying when you're hurting and going through a hard time and you're just being honest with the Lord about where you're at. Sometimes it's momentary thank yous when you experience something awesome in life and you realize it was a gift from God and you just under your breath say, God, thank you for this moment. Sometimes it might be snapping a picture of something that you think was beautiful and just saying, thank you, God, for that thing. Sometimes it's saying, you know what, God, I can't do this on my own. This thing is too big, it's too difficult. I don't know how to handle this situation. I need you to come and walk through this situation with me. Just simply turning your heart to God is being consciously aware of him. If you look at this branch here, it looks like it's doing okay. It even looks like it might be able to produce fruit. But this branch is destined to die. It got, you can see right there, it got disconnected. I cut it off a tree out front this morning. Sorry to whoever's responsible for those, but I broke your tree. Um, this branch has no hope of bearing any fruit at all. 
It's not possible. You could tape fruit to it. You could staple some grapes up to it or something like that. Or maybe tie a cherry-like stem on it so it looks like it's bearing fruit. But it has no hope of ever bearing fruit because it's totally disconnected. And our life is just like that. There is no hope of any of us bearing any fruit in our life unless we are connected to him. But if we abide in him, he guarantees that we can produce fruit. I just want to take a minute this morning. We're going to take a ton of time, but I just want to take a minute, and I just want you to practice turning your heart to the Lord. Maybe you need to close your eyes just so you're not distracted or thinking about other stuff or looking at other stuff, but just maybe close your eyes and just turn your heart to him. Just invite him to come and be with you right now. Maybe thank him for something good in your life. Maybe be honest with him about where you're at if you're having a hard time. If you feel distant from him, tell him. Just begin to become aware of him right now. doesn't necessarily take a long time to become aware of him, to turn your heart to him. Sometimes it just takes a second. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot, Lord. I forgot about you. I forgot what it feels like to be close to you. You can open your eyes. That's what the Lord is looking for from us all throughout our day. Abiding in God means being aware of him as often as possible. One super practical thing that I do in my life um, to abide in in the Lord is every single day when I come into church, I work here, so I come to church every day. Every single day when I come in, I walk into my office, and when I walk through the door, I say, okay, Lord, let's do this. Whatever, whatever the day is going to hold. I've, you know, I get here in the morning, sometimes I know what I'm going to do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll get called into some difficult situation. Sometimes I'll be working on a sermon. Sometimes I'll be building something around the church. But it's my way of reminding myself and letting the Lord know, whatever I do today, we are doing it together. I'm not just going to go out here and go rogue and do my own thing, because I know what that's going to produce. It's going to produce nothing good. It's going to produce nonsense. But Lord, I want to go through my life with you. The second thing he says is we become more fruitful when we are lifted up by Christ. This is in verse 1 and 2. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it might be more fruitful. This verse is kind of confusing to people, and it gets gets worse if you're reading the NIV Bible because it says you would be cut off. And so people read that verse and they kind of think like, if I'm not being fruitful, does that mean the Lord is saying he's going to like cut me off and send me to hell? I don't actually think that that's what verse 2 is saying and I'm going to explain to you why. The first reason is because I think that verse 6 actually speaks to that very issue. In verse 6, He says, let's see here, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. So I actually think that that 
is a reference to judgment day. And I think that what verse 6 is talking about is people that have totally and completely rejected Christ. People who don't abide in him at all. People who don't have relationship with him and don't want relationship with him. So I think that that's what verse 6 is talking about. So then it kind of begs the question, what is verse 2 talking about then? So I looked into this a little bit, and if you look in the Greek, the Greek word that Jesus uses here is the word word aero, A-I-R-O. And it means a few different things. It has three different definitions. The first one is to take away. The second one is to lift up and move from one place to another. And the third is to lift up, take up, or pick up. So to understand what Jesus is saying here, and the disciples would have understood this, but we wouldn't without what I'm about to tell you. Um, You have to understand what vineyards were like in those days versus what vineyards are like now. We actually have vineyards around here. We're kind of like wine country around here. And if you go and you look at vineyards, they're often, they have vines that are growing on strings or wires or sometimes like up a fence or a trellis or something like that. So the vines are growing up. In those days, that is not how vines were. Vines were just simply laying on the ground. Vineyards were on the ground. They were laying on the ground. And when these vines were laying on the ground, the fruit was susceptible to some enemies. The fruit was susceptible to things like insects and animals and mold and fungus and disease. So when the gardener would come around and it would see Um, a branch that either bore fruit, but that fruit was getting eaten away or destroyed by some of these various things, or a branch that wasn't bearing much fruit at all, what they would do is they would take that branch, they would lift it off the ground, and they would put a rock under it to get it off the ground, to get it away from those things that were destroying it. Or sometimes they would take some sticks, and they would break them in the shape of a Y, and they would pound it into the ground, and then they would lay the branch and the vine across those sticks to get it up off of the ground. So to me, verse 2 is actually much more encouraging than it is scary. It's what Jesus is saying is that when we're producing fruit, but that fruit is getting destroyed by the environment we're in, or when we're not producing much fruit because of the, the situations that we're in, when we're down, when we're discouraged, he comes alongside of us picks us up, and props us up so that we can begin to produce fruit. He doesn't discard us and throw us away. He's the God that comes alongside of us when we're discouraged, when we're not producing fruit, and he lifts us up, he changes our environment, he deals with our enemies so that we can begin to be fruitful. The way David said it in Psalm 3.3 is, You, O Lord, are a shield for me, the glory, and the one who lifts up my head. If you know at all what's going on in David's life in Psalm 3, David is super discouraged. How many of you know dealing with rebellious teenagers can be discouraging? Well, David deals with that on steroids. His son Absalom comes and literally tries to, he starts a coup and tries to overthrow David's entire kingdom. So like, he's he's got it going on real bad with his son. So he's super discouraged, he's frustrated, And he said, God, when I'm in that place, when I'm not being very fruitful because I'm discouraged and frustrated, you're the God that comes along and lifts up my head. In fact, you're also a shield for me, and you protect me from the things that are trying to attack me. 
Maybe some of you who are here this morning feel like you're not being very fruitful in your life. You're looking at your life and it's like, I don't see a whole lot of fruit around me. I feel like I'm struggling, I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated. This morning God wants you to know he's the God that comes alongside of you and picks you up and breathes life back into you, prunes back the places that need to be pruned so that you could begin to bear fruit. Psalm 145.14 says, The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Maybe this morning some of you feel like you're bowed down, and what that kind of looks like is just being beat up by life. There isn't one of us who's here this morning who haven't been in that place where we were just beat up by the circumstances of our life. And this morning God wants you to know that when you're in that place that you've been beat up by life, He's not going to come and discard you. He's not going to cut you off and throw you away. He's going to come and he's going to lift you up so that he could encourage you and you could begin to produce fruit. Man, I'm so glad that I serve a God that doesn't just want me to produce fruit. He also enables me and empowers me to produce fruit. He doesn't just leave me out there on my own to produce fruit, but he comes along and picks me up to help me produce fruit. The third way we become more fruitful is when we're pruned by Christ. This is in the second half of John 15, 2. It says, And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The word that Jesus used there for pruning is actually the word that we get the English word cathartic from. Cathartic means like something that's cleansing to your soul. So what Jesus is saying here is that when he comes to prune us, he's actually cleansing our soul. Of the three ways that I gave you this morning to become more fruitful, pruning is the most uncomfortable. And it seems like for most people today, comfort is the goal of their life. Like if anything is uncomfortable, we want to like get away from that thing that's uncomfortable as quick as possible and get back to whatever is comfortable. And what Jesus is saying here is the goal of our lives can't be comfort. The goal of our life has to be to produce fruit so that it would bring him glory. One thing that's hard about Jesus pruning is, says sometimes he says here, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And sometimes that can be hard and discouraging and it's like hard to even understand what he's doing because you feel like, like God, this is the place in my life that's actually going well. Like I'm actually, I am producing fruit here and then you show up with scissors, like I I thought this was something that was going well in my life. And then you show up to prune that place. And the only reason Jesus shows up to prune the places in our life that are bearing fruit are so that it can actually bear more fruit. I had a friend who bought a house a while ago. And when he bought the house, there were some blueberry bushes on the back of the property. And he was pretty excited about these blueberry bushes. He loves blueberries and he likes to eat them with his breakfast in the morning. So he was super excited when they found a house that they loved, and then it came with these blueberry bushes. So the first year they were in the house, he went out and he was able to get some blueberries, and he was excited about it. There weren't as many blueberries on the bush as there was when he came and looked at the house before they bought it, but there was enough blueberries there that they could enjoy them. The next spring came around, and there was like hardly any blueberries on on these bushes at all, And he was like, what the heck? Like, I was so excited about this. Like, I thought this was going to work and I was going to be able to get my own blueberries. Later that year, his mother-in-law came 
up to visit them from down south, and she's a gardener, and she loves to take care of plants and that sort of thing. And so she asked him, she said, are you enjoying your blueberries? And he said, no, I killed the blueberry bushes. I don't even really know how I did or what happened, but like somehow I killed these blueberry bushes. And she said, let's go look at them. So they went outside, and they looked at the blueberry bushes. And she said, oh, these blueberry bushes aren't dead. You just never pruned them. And he said, oh, I didn't know I have to prune them. He said, do you know how to prune them? And she said, I do. So they went and got some tools, and they came back. And she started to cut apart these blueberry bushes. And he kind of just stood back and watched her, and he thought to himself, if those blueberry bushes weren't dead, now they're definitely dead because she destroyed these things like Edward Scissorhands. Like there's nothing left of these blueberry bushes, you know? He, he said, so those are going to produce blueberries? And she said, yeah, they will next year. And he thought, there's no way these things are going to produce blueberries. Come next spring, he could not believe the amount of blueberries that these bushes produced. More than were on the bushes when he looked at the house in the first place, more than every other year put together in that one spring produced by that blueberry bush because that blueberry bush was pruned and cut back. That's oftentimes what our life looks like with the Lord. We start to do well in an, in an area of our life, and then the Lord comes along and he says, you know, I see some selfishness in you, and I'd like to deal with that. Would you be okay with me cutting that out of your life? And you're like, okay. So then he cuts the selfishness out of your life, and then your life starts to become fruitful, and you're excited about the fruit in your life. And then the Lord comes over and he says, you know, there's some pride there that I'd like to get out. And you're like, but I thought I was being fruitful, and I thought everything was going good. And he says, would you allow me to deal with that pride? You say, okay, so then he cuts the pride out of your life, and then your life starts to become more and more fruitful again, more than you ever really even thought it could be. And then he comes back and he says, you know, I see some insecurity there, and I'd like to help you deal with that if, if you'd let me. And then eventually, sometimes as Christians, we end up feeling like, are you ever done with me? Like, is there ever a point where I can just be and exist? Is there ever a point where I can just show up? But the Lord knows the fruit that we're capable of producing in our life. So if we let him, he actually never stops pruning us. There's never a point where we just say, okay, I've arrived and I've made it and the Lord doesn't have to prune anything out of me anymore. As long as we're willing for the Lord to prune us so we can continue to produce fruit, he will continue to prune us. If you're someone who's walked with the Lord for a while, is probably a good way to say it. If you're someone who's walked with the Lord for a while, and you haven't had the Lord prune an area in your heart recently, I got to tell you, it's not because he's not willing. He's still willing, and there is still fruit that your life can produce. Your life only stops producing fruit when you stop letting the Lord come and prune. But he's always willing to prune so that we can continue to produce fruit. Would you bow your heads this morning? Maybe this morning you realize that one of those areas in your life isn't so fruitful. Maybe it's not producing fruit at all. Maybe you realize you haven't been abiding in him. You haven't been consciously aware of him. You've just been kind of going through life, living life, doing your own thing without spending any time remaining in him, without thinking about him, without drawing close to him through your day. And in the process you start to feel distant from God. You start to feel far from him. And this morning, God is asking you, will you come abide in me? 
Will you think about me throughout your day? Will you talk to me? Will you be close to me? Maybe here this morning and you feel discouraged, like the life has just been sucked out of you and there hasn't been a whole lot of fruit in your life recently. God is wanting to come to you this morning and he's wanting to bend down and pick you up and prop you up so that you could get into a different environment and start to produce fruit. Or maybe this morning you realize you've been pursuing comfort instead of fruitfulness. You've kind of pushed away his pruning in your life. And because of it, your life doesn't seem very fruitful. This morning God is asking each one of us if we'll come and we'll let him prune us. If we'll come. fall in love with you all over again.